It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Let me start. I'm going to go straight to the phone lines because Aer Lingus have now apologised to passengers who were due to fly into Cork. They were forced to stay overnight in Lisbon Airport after their flight was cancelled on uh, Friday night. One of the passengers on that plane was Vincent Cashman, who joins me. Good morning to you, Vincent. Morning, Patricia. Um, now, you're fi- you finally did get home, even though it was, I think, about 24 hours late. T- tell me what happened on Saturday night. You were actually on the plane ready for takeoff. Yes, uh, we boarded the plane as normal. Uh, the flight was due to get out at quarter to 11. We were on the plane and um, they told us there was a technical issue. So, um, and they would get back to us, they'd keep us updated as the captain of the flight. So he said, fine, no problem at all. And um, about a half an hour, maybe 20 minutes later, they, they said that they were having an issue with the tyre. They had to wait for an engineer to come out and check out the tyre. And um, between the jigs and the reels, then, we were kind of getting a message back that they were checking the airport to see if they had a tyre at the airport. And they didn't. And the captain came back and said they were trying to get a tyre from another airline or another plane or something like this. And that didn't transpire, so we were getting off the plane. So was it... Sorry, this sounds really stupid question. Was it a flat tyre? No, it wasn't a flat tyre, but they they obviously noticed something with it, right? Okay. um, the, the the line was like that you know that they're taking obviously passenger safety is very important. Yeah. Right. Um, now we'd already heard from a lady on the plane who had spoken to one of the the stewardesses that um, that if the plane doesn't fly by half eleven we probably won't get going, and if it's after twelve o'clock we definitely won't get going. So you're all watching your watches at this stage. Yes. So oh, we were right. on the plane at least I'd say until one o'clock ten past one. Now, they said they were going to get this sorted out in the morning, right? So yeah. the bags then were left inside. The bags were taken off the plane, which, again, was a little bit odd if they were using the same plane in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, we look, we wouldn't be obviously updated with, with, with flights and bits and pieces like that. So we took the bags anyway, and um, the air crew disappeared. There's no Aer Lingus desk there. There was no Aer Lingus staff. We were dealing with a guy at the desk who said there is no accommodation available. He's tried. He didn't try, Patricia. And though despite what Aer Lingus will say, despite what they'll say in, port, in um, Lisbon Airport, they did not try. How many on the plane? Um, I would be I would be guessing now on this, right? Yeah. But I'd say 100-ish. Okay. Did they, did they get anyone accommodation? 
No, you were left to your own devices. But you see, it was gone past 12. So even any of the bookings that we were trying to do online were booking for Sunday night. Of course, of course. You and then obviously yeah. there's the language barrier. Yeah. Now, even though the Portuguese, to be fair, do speak pretty good English, mm. um, when you're dealing with people that are kind of frazzled. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's, the middle of, it's the middle of the night now at this stage. It's the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. Now, there were, there were people there that had kids. Oh. Now, um, people had to sleep and if there was... Um, um, elderly people. There was one chap in 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 a wheelchair. To be fair, who didn't open his mouth. He was he and he and he could have. Hmm. Um, well, are you saying he was left in a wheelchair all night at the airport? In a wheelchair all night at the airport. No, with this, with this, they didn't give a blanket. A, no, you could. There was a coffee shop open. All right, now but you, you had to buy the coffee, which isn't an issue, right? That wasn't the issue. But there wasn't a. Um, a Couch, we'll say, any of these fold-up beds. There wasn't a blanket, a cushion, anything given to anybody. You were basically left sleep on the floor. And that's what the majority of people, actually, the people that did sleep, slept on the floor. Yeah, and most of the European airports, it's tiles you're sleeping on. It's not carpets. They have the very best of marble floors. Oh, Lord. And that's freezing. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that that was... uh, Saturday, we'd say Sunday morning. And then we'll say when people started arriving back at the airport the following day, we started contacting Aer Lingus. Mm-hmm. Now, you might as well be contacting NASA about the moon landings from the 60s as talking to the Aer Lingus list. They were absolutely useless. The chap that I spoke to said, I can get you out. This is early now. This may be 8 ish, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. Is now, you're what? frazzled at this stage because you really haven't had, you've had little or no sleep. Um, none. Yeah. Right? Okay, and so you're exhausted with, on top of yeah, everything so else. De- de- dealing with this, this individual, and I said to him, Lucas, he said, but, but we can get you out on a flight to Dublin. And I said, okay, you can get me on a flight to Dublin. My car's in Cork. Mm. How are you getting me from Dublin? to Cork he didn't even um there wasn't even ah there was nothing he said well, I said we were after receiving emails from Aer Lingus um, and he, I said that there may be a flight at 2 o'clock there may be a flight at 2 o'clock so he said just stick with that and he said if there's any problems he said um, uh, if there's any problems um, give us a call back again but look just uh, trust in the email okay and just make sure you have a good day. That was his last name. Oh, so, um, again, no, he's reading from a sheet. I don't want to be unfair. Yeah, yeah. Reading from a sheet. But and obviously it, everybody, not. all the other passengers are, are, are on to him, are on to his team, with people working with him, and they're all been told the same thing. Yes. No, so you're now no, holding out for a two o'clock flight. Two o'clock flight, okay. Okay. There is nothing on any board, right, on any flight board about uh, um, um, a flight to a Cork. Flight, a flight to Cork, okay. So, yeah. Then um, people started phoning, and then we started. We turned up at the desk below, so we couldn't get any answers from Aer Lingus, right? So anybody that was phoning Aer Lingus at the time were getting different answers. Oh no! Okay, we were getting different answers, and um, then there were flights at one o'clock. So everybody got at this stage. You now we we're, we're t- we've had enough of it. So we all turned up at the desk below. The Portuguese did not hold to handle it. Okay. <laughs> and I think that was the thing. And, and at that everything. desk, there's no there, there's no one officially from Aer Lingus at that desk. 
No. Even at this stage now, we're into Sunday morning. Stage, no, there's no there's no desk there for hurling it. And if there was, it was so well hidden, nobody <laughs> could find it. <laughs> but you, you would have imagined at this stage, you know, and I accept that Erlingus can't have desks at every single airport, but you would imagine at this stage, they, they have a problem with the flight, there's the bones of 100 people. Somebody would have been sent on Sunday morning to say, OK, I'm in charge, I'll organise it from here. Y- you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, between... Uh, a roughly, I'd say maybe 30-odd people standing at this desk who refused to move. Um, they were kind of, in fairness to the guys behind the desk of Portugal, they were not getting the information. They were not liaising. Aer Lingus and Lisbon Airport were not liaising. So even the people at Lisbon Airport said, regardless of what Aer Lingus are telling you, there is no flight leaving here. Then the flight had changed to 1 o'clock. There was a report of a 1 o'clock flight. And um, there is no flights leaving here with Aer Lingus at one o'clock. Then they were told it may be two. We're trying to squeeze you in at two o'clock. Mm. And there was an email to that effect. Was your plane, did anybody cop, was your plane still on the tarmac or had it been moved? I reckon, and again, I'm guessing here that the plane never moved. Because the plane, actually, when we went on the plane last night, it was still dirty. So either the plane was... was uh, they fixed the tyre. Well, wasn't that the obvious thing to do, was to get engineers in and fix the tyre? Why have they not? Like, this is the the, the flagship of Irish Airlines, apparently, Mm. right? If you're operating any form of machinery, and especially a plane where you're dealing with passengers, you don't come along and say, as we don't have a spare. Not on on the plane. And I said this to this guy, I said, look, we don't expect you to have a spare tyre bolted to the bonnet like a Land Rover. Or to carry it around in in the, the 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 hold of the plane. But you should be able to get access to it. I mean, Lis- Lis- Lisbon's a modern yeah, and Lisbon is a modern city as well. Yes, yeah, you, you, But but it was it's, even the people on the on the ground told us that it's Aer Lingus. Even the guy we were dealing with yesterday evening, now right, and I'm kind of missing a good section of it because we refused. They sent a guy over to us. We were looking for a manager. Apparently there was no manager in Lisbon Airport all day yesterday. There was nobody kind of in charge. We said, there isn't a single manager on the airport. They said no. And the, pi- the pilot and the crew were, were what, gone to a hotel somewhere, were they? Yes. They would have to put, put, uh, put them no, up. they'd have to put did, those Did up you there. get meal vouchers? Right. Yeah. He, we got nothing on this, uh, we'll say Saturday, we'll say early Sunday morning, right? Yeah. We were looking for a manager. And then this poor guy who should have come out in a suit of armour. Um, he kind of sculls around and he came out and he said, look, we have vultures. We said, we don't, we're not looking for vultures off anyone. And he got S. In the end, he was actually trembling. He didn't want to, he didn't want to deal with us. And he does, he's, he's, yeah, he, he doesn't work for Erlingus. He's just somebody that no, uses, yeah, yeah. he actually told us. You, f- you feel for them. You, I, I always yeah. feel for those guys that they, they reel out because they are the ones who bear the brunt of everybody's anger. Yes. And the, the, the in the, he, the, the Indian said it to us, look, that this is an Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus are difficult to deal with. I said, you don't have to tell us at all. So um, in the end, we'll say, then there was a call. There was people turned up at a desk because they had received the thing as well. It was going to be a flight at two o'clock. They all arrived down to, to um, basically put their bags in the hold. Mm. Okay, So they're waiting to put their bags in. I thing up on a screen, flight, and I said, look, if you, I said, if you just check the time on the screen. Now, they were there maybe half an hour-ish. Right before any notice now was given about times, they were there about half an hour on any screens. Would say 
there's a screen below in the bag holding area. Um, five, I said, that time is five past eight. And they said, we're standing here about half an hour. They thought the time was wrong. Mm. So um, people arrived down there and the then the screen went blank. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the screen went blank. Um, and then there was two screens come up and so look, there's a bit of hope here. And again, Aer Lingus kept telling people there was a flight out at two o'clock. The one o'clock flight was only mid. There was a flight out at two o'clock. Stay where you are. And we were basically being told. But yet the people on the ground were saying to you, there was no flight at two o'clock. There's no flight at two. What they were trying to do was get us uh, to, no, I don't know the deans know to this. I think they have to buy a slot. Probably, yeah. Probably. And obviously the cheapest slot was in the evening. So it so, was quarter. It was that eight after eight. That exactly was was the one. Was the time that we. So we, so I, and I I heard and I saw Paul Burns' piece on on Virgin Media this morning. I mean, you all looked exhausted coming off the plane uh, last night. And to add insult to injury, then there was no one from Erlingus to meet you when you arrived back in Cork. Is that true? Absolutely not. In all fairness to Paul, Paul was there. Um, <laughs> Welcoming you back. <laughs> Paul was there with a the camera and. But no um, one from Erlingus. There was nobody from Erlingus, right? Now, the, the, the captain did try to make a half-arsed apology, pardon my French. Um, well, it's not his fault either. He can't, he can't fly a plane unless they no, give him a plane. but they disappeared. There, is, there was no... I, I, I can understand to a point, right? And there's nobody coming along and saying that, that the crew should not have been put up in a hotel. That is their job, right? If there is an issue with a plane and the crew are grounded, then they should have been put up somewhere. That's the norm. But you don't leave your passengers... Stranded. Stranded. Yeah, you and you were, you were stranded. And they just left the airport. Now they have, and, 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 you know, they have apologised. Uh, They've yeah, yeah. Uh, confirmed uh, it wasn't possible to re- reschedule the flight until Sunday evening. They don't say why it wasn't possible. Um, and they also say it was cancelled for technical reasons. And obviously safety, I know all of that comes, comes first. They say it's teams... And they put teams in plural, lots of people working on it, sought to book accommodation for disruptive passengers, but availability was extremely limited in the Lisbon uh, area. Uh, but what the one thing I did notice was the Aer Lingus did say that those who managed to book their accommodation themselves will be reimbursed accordingly. So if people were able to, who had the means, were able to book themselves, how come their, their teams were not able to book the same accommodation? There had to be accommodation available if well, people individually were able to get them. Why were the teams not able to get them? Well, the teams... Um, <laughs> no, I know I wear glasses. I yeah. may have been tired. But this teams was one guy behind the desk. And the team, unless he had a hidden team... <laughs> behind him somewhere <laughs> walking away um, little elves he, back in the room <laughs> you didn't yeah, see them he was okay. there and he said uh, I tried to get accommodation nothing available good luck so are you saying as far as you know none of the passengers got accommodation via Aer Lingus them, via Aer Lingus as far as I'm aware no they had to source it themselves ok and not so everyone I, has the means in the way. If you're at the end of a holiday, if you're on a family holiday and people are on a budget, you mightn't have the money to be able to book but, uh, accommodation. There was, there was one guy quoted 1,250 Yeah, euros. you see, the captive audiences. You know? yeah, and they, I mean, even, even, even the guy we were dealing with yesterday, when eventually, to add an insult to injury, when there were people were queuing up um, to, for these two screens that appeared, then they disappeared. Now, with everybody waiting for this plane because it spread through the airport. Now, again, Everybody was getting different stories, but we were going with what we were getting sent by Aer Lingus. The two signs disappeared, and up pops two signs for Air Malta. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, we went back up to the desk, 
No, it was it was pure and utter pressure that got Aer Lingus to either cough up the extra few bob or decide to say, look, right, we better do something here. Because there was no flight out yesterday evening at five past eight. There was no flight up on the board. Uh, Aer Lingus had said, but we can get you all, thankfully, thankfully, everyone, calm down, we can get you out Tuesday evening, quarter to 11. <laughs> An extended holiday with, with no hotels and nowhere to stay. What, you're going to have uh, an extra few days in Lisbon Airport? Listen, out, out, outside of all of that, were you there on holidays or were you there for work reasons? Uh, holidays. Holidays. Was it a good holiday? Uh, <laughs> it was a great holiday. Yeah. But it was just, it, it, their, their complete and utter lack. They had no interest whatsoever. The air crew had no interest. I know they can say, look, it's not their job, right? You don't leave 60 or 70 people, more maybe, inside in the, uh, the lobby of a hotel without at least going over and talking to them. Now, yeah. even if you're going to be getting a few, we'll say, choice words thrown in your direction, you still don't leave the people there. I, I felt when I was following it on Twitter, it was the frustration was coming from the lack of information. It's bad enough to be stranded in an airport, but it's the lack of information and and not to know, n- not knowing. Okay, uh, sorry, Patricia, we'll ju- just just add to that side. They, they they were what they were doing for us was they were sending us updates that you were going to get an update again in half an hour. <laughs> so so I I try not to correct you on that, but I think this were giving us updates on updates, and updates and updates. <laughs> So you had more updates on updates and than the, the actual cool updates itself. yesterday evening that we'll say the, the, again when they were taking the bags and I, I know I'm kind of it, it, it's very long but there was, there was a lot of other bits and pieces there but it was, it was it, the guy had a letter from Aer Lingus and he said look I, I, I've been asked to apologise to you guys on behalf of Aer Lingus and I said hold up it is not your job at all to be apologising for Aer Lingus I said we will deal with Aer Lingus tomorrow once the flight takes off you were, because, you, you, yeah. you, well, we, you were, you were entitled to compensation. You know that. Well, 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 we are. We're did they, to, did they even, did they even hand out those leaflets that they're meant to give you about compensation on a delayed flight? Uh, no, we got nothing. Oh, you should have. You should. You should have been handed. I know when I was on a delayed flight this way. Well, you'd you. have to. You'd have to be handed those by Aer Lingus. I know. We were lucky. We were lucky to get a flight. All right. But well, it was, it was you're home, and that's the main thing. Turned that yesterday, Patricia. Okay. Listen. It was, it was the fact that they would refuse. L- to look back and just you're home safe. Look back and just remember the wonderful holiday you had in Lisbon. Listen, Vincent. Thank you for that. No problem. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Lisbon. Uh, that is Vincent Cashman, who was one of those that was on that flight with about hundred people who ended up being stranded at the airport it's always so frustrating when, when you get caught out like that 1850 coming up on the programme this morning we're going to be discussing the problems of ageing parents caring for adult children with special needs this has become a problem particularly for those that are not getting support most of those parents want to continue looking after their adult children. They need support. If they give them support, they will be able to do it and do it uh, for longer. Support, particularly things like respite. We know how difficult it can be to get uh, respite. We're also going to touch on the cross-border directive. This is people heading up north to get cataract operations. Looking to hear from anyone, have you been waiting an excessively long period of time for your refund from the HSE? Initially, we were told that you would have your refund within weeks. Now, I know the last time we looked into this, we were told that 
there was delays and the delays have a lot to do with the amount of people that are going up north to have their cataract operations or their hip operations or knee operations done and that's obviously delaying then the people that are trying to get their refunds. If you have a story to share with us, uh, let us know uh, please. We were hearing about a new app to help victims of domestic abuse connect with local support services. This is really a fantastic initiative and it would be particularly important to anyone living in a very rural area that's suffering from domestic abuse and really you don't know where to go and there's no services locally. They will, this app will be able to point you in the right direction. And then after 11 today, we are doing our feature on wills. If how to make a will what you need to be thinking of when you make a will, the do's and don'ts around making a will, the most common mistakes that people made, how important it is to make a will and the dangers of dying without a will and what sort of problems that leaves for families. If you have a particular question, obviously we will keep your name and where you're from anonymous because I'm, I'm very aware of how sensitive an issue wills can be and making of wills and what you put into wills and what you don't put into wills we get your questions in you can ring John Paul 1850 you can text her WhatsApp 086 or you can email as well you can email Patricia at c103.ie we also will be putting out an appeal to from the Gardaí they are looking for witnesses to a hit and run that happened over the weekend in Bandon and a little two-year-old was knocked down. It just seems incredible that somebody could hit a little child, a little two-year-old, little toddler and just drive away. I cannot comprehend. I mean, it's everybody's nightmare, isn't it, to be involved in a car accident and particularly a car accident that involves a, a child. I mean, you're driving in an area, you know, a residential area and you so have to bring your A game when you're driving during the summertime because you know children a ball will fly out and you can guarantee if a ball comes out of a garden in between two parked cars you can nearly count down the seconds to where a child's going to be following the ball and they're straight out in the road uh, to get the ball and you, so you just have to be so careful in the summer months but then if God forbid an accident happens nobody sets out to knock down a child but if an accident happened you would stop the car to think somebody would drive away it's just shocking absolutely shocking so we'll hear about that particular case after 12 o'clock today and then after half past 12 Annalise Drissel our nutritional therapist will join us and she will answer all of you nutritional questions as we do every Monday Hi Patricia has anybody else got a scam text from Revenue saying that they are due a sum of money and giving details for a link to open uh, mine was for €1,400. God, wouldn't it be nice? I've got the message twice, says Anne. Yeah, it's a scam. Revenue have been on to us. We've, Revenue ha- have alerted us to a number of the scams. There's text one. Other people are getting emails saying that they are due money back from uh, Revenue. But no, it's a complete and utter scam. Just delete it immediately. And if it's from a particular number and you've got a smartphone, you may be able to block the number as well to stop the text coming in because they can be rather annoying. Okay, we're going to take a break and then we are back discussing the problem of ageing parents caring for adult children, particularly with the lack of respite services. Cork Northwest Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan has raised the issue of older parents caring full-time for their adult children with special needs and questioned the Minister for Health about support like respite that is available to these older carers. Deputy Michael Moynihan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Michael, firstly, have we a figure on the number of adults with disabilities who are 
currently living and being cared for by their parents? It would run into several thousand people. There, there's no, there's figures, I suppose, by region, all right, but there is thousands of people, uh, um, I suppose, adult children that have been cared for by their parents, and as the advancing years, there is an issue with it. Now, I've been raising this issue for quite some time, um, raising it in every forum that's available to me in terms of the um, the doll and uh, questions to the minister. And then I met with the um, HSC senior people in the HSC recently. And, like, you know, there is a crisis in, the, in, in that. And, like, HSC people didn't, you know, said that they weren't getting enough funding from the HSE nationally in relation to this. And there's a lot of lip service being paid to respite. You know, there was 10 million put into a budget uh, last year in terms of more respite care. And yeah, that was back. the additional money. And there was a big hoo-ha about it that additional money was going to be allocated. It, there was a huge hoo-ha about it, about the additional money. And like, if you go back over the transcripts and the doll in relation to questions that I've asked, it is one thing that I have been consistent with uh, because I feel very, very strongly about it. And what I'm saying is that the, the 10 million that was put in, you know, th- there has been no a tangible or no noticeable improvement in services. You know, we've been fighting in relation to shared care as well, which is an option that has been available uh, going back over the last couple of years. And, you know, people were getting shared care. Now that isn't, that's not even on the table at this stage. And, and some of the service providers have been, you know, looking for funding from the HSE uh, in relation to it. But from my meeting with the HSE in Cork recently, it's quite obvious to me that the funding in relation to this is not coming from Dublin and that there is not an understanding of the crisis that's out there. You know, we look at community care, we look at uh, all of the language that's around community care and then we move from, you know, big settings and uh, institutional settings and all of that in a pathway of progress but we are not funding community care. We're not funding um, the shared care or we're not com- funding the respite care services. You know, be- people who are getting maybe a one weekend and a quarter, one weekend and two- every two months or one weekend or some time that was n- necessary. And people need this respite care. Everybody needs respite care, whether it's the service user or whether it's the parents, whether it's the families. And we are now seeing, you know, people talking about, you know, that there isn't enough um, facilities there, that there isn't enough of the infrastructure there. And then in some instances, we find that maybe some of the the, uh, service providers have houses closed because of lack of funding or not able to provide staff to cover respite. But at the end of it all, you know, the the, the last week when I raised the doll, it is that there is an issue in relation to funding. And I do think that the disability services in particular, if you go right through from the very from the very early stages, from uh, kids needing assessment to early intervention, uh, right through the school uh, resources in relation to the schools, uh, we need, uh, and now in, uh, adults with intellectual disabilities needing respite care. There is a chronic shortage of funding in relation to the whole of the services. And we are paying lip service to it. We are saying that, no, we need to, integrate them more into mainstream we need it, but there needs to be supports and services available we see the role as we can relation to home helps which is probably the most uh, efficient system in the country in terms of that's allowing people to live in their own homes and uh, not going into uh, full-time care into into nursing home care but there is we we can plaster it up whatever way we want we can actually 
use whatever language in it, but what we are doing in relation to, and respite we're talking about this morning, uh, in relation to respite, we are simply not, and it's a drum that I'm going to continue to bang because I feel extremely passionate about it, and I think that if we are right in supporting uh, both the service users and if we're supporting the families uh, of, of adults with intellectual disabilities, we need to make sure that there is um, a, a proper respite and shared care available. And if you go back two or three years, you know, the language that was coming out, particularly two years ago, the language that was coming out of the HSE and the Minister and the Department was saying that there's extra funding available. I would love to know where that funding went to because I cannot, in any of the representations that I make right across the services, I cannot see where that respite is uh, coming from. I have been so... Um, angst about it and so upset about it I have taken a number of cases to the Ombudsman to try and see what is going on because we are not getting clear answers from the HSE uh, in relation to this. And is there a danger Michael of burnout by some of these carers a lot of these parents are getting older and then the irony of that is if they collapsed in the morning God forbid and ended up in hospital the, the adult child they're looking after would have to go into full time res- residential care which would cost a hell of a lot more than an odd weekend Patricia you have absolutely nailed it that is exactly what is what is going on and like we've seen the documents in relation to you know having community care and going back to what I said earlier right we have fine words in relation to it but we are not recognising that if we don't fund this system that we are creating a massive issue for us up ahead we're creating a massive issue for us and families and parents they all need respite they need time they need uh, this uh, extremely extremely important and what you were saying there in terms of you know, if something goes wrong then in the home, if there's one of the fa- the, uh, the parents get sick or, or or otherwise, then we have a massive issue. And I think that burnout is a massive factor because people are you know stressed at last. There's lots of lot of demands in their time, and they're you know anybody that's caring on a full time profession, caring is a very demanding profession, and it is also a very isolated profession, and it is you know the respite which has been there heretofore, was a solace, I suppose. And even with elderly people as well, they were getting two weeks uh, respite and there was a solace there and that there was a break for them and people were able to recharge their batteries and go on again. And there is an issue in relation to burnout. And, you know, we've seen, you know, last week in relation to care, or two weeks ago in relation to carers week, we have all these aspirations but unless we find out like that the, you know there's 10 million that went into um, extra respite funding where I don't know where, where did it go it certainly isn't providing more care more respite for people who want it whether it is uh, adults with intellectual disabilities whether it is elderly people there is a chronic shortage and I listen to my colleagues around the country in different parts of the country when I raise the issue they all have the same and I, I do think that the minister must come out and clarify exactly what his intentions are in relation to respite because but it is extremely serious. Just on uh, carers, Michael, I, I mean, the Labour health spokesperson, Alan Kelly, was critical of your party. He went so far as to say you betrayed carers last week when you didn't support the Labour Party motion for increased support for family carers. No, uh, we are absolutely committed uh, in every single step of the way. I think that what was, um, as I understand it last week, 
they had a motion down and it was a technical. We support carers and I can guarantee you that I support carers because everything that I have done over the years, I've constantly been uh, raising the issue in relation to carers. I have raised the issue more than any member of, of uh, the, the doll in relation to the waiting time to stay for carers. There's 16 or 18 weeks in relation to carers and if that goes into appeal, it's 17 more weeks. It's 35 weeks for some carers allowances that we are processing. We have processed an awful lot of them in our office. We help families to try and get their entitlements when they have to look after loved ones. And I think that of all things, you know, I would say that the carers allowance, the home helps are, if they were costed, if they were looked at in in, in economic form, they are the value for money that the state is getting for the people that are providing the care, the people that are providing the home helps out in the communities, would be, I'd say, five and six-fold because they're keeping people from institutional care and they're pe- keeping people from the fair deal scheme, which is around about between 900 and 1,000 euros a week for families. And the carers, uh, in relation to my party's position on carers, we have constantly, constantly been... Uh, um, uh, supporting them and in any way So, so but why couldn't you support with the Labour Party? Uh, I mean they're talking about a new national carer strategy they're talking about major reforms to the means test for carers allowance that you're speaking about there Well I, in the carers allowance I have been from my own party's point of view I've been saying that we have to you know we ha- the carers benefit that comes out uh, which is not a means tested payment I think that is nearly time that we have to abolish the carers, the, the the test, the means test for carers, because people are supported. We have been putting this policy forward ourselves in relation to, uh, and we have the carers forum, all of that. We don't need any more talking shops. We need action. We need to get in there and to try and reduce the time that people are waiting for a decision on carers' loans. They're sending up documentation from their GP, from their consultant. They're providing the care and they're still waiting 16 or 18 weeks. And they've enough to be doing without all of the paperwork. It's it's, it's, it's crazy. And they're, they're actually making decisions about care of their families. They're actually making decisions about what um, you know a loved one needs care and there's a family member saying that we're going to make a decision and they are traumatic decisions that they made within the family context and then they are getting letters back looking for a, a small piece of paper as delayed again and we get fr- quite frustrated quite frustrated in relation to try and make sure that people are getting the cares in time because not from the day that the application is approved, but from the day that they apply for the CARES loans, they are reducing their work hours. They have probably gone to their employer looking for change in work patterns uh, to reduce it to the 15 hours. There is a, you know, we need to, I suppose, acknowledge what they are doing for society and we need to make sure that they are supported in every way that is humanly possible. Okay. All right. And I just want to have you on the line just on a different issue, which, which, which affects some of those older carers, I have to say, because I would have spoken with some of them over, over the years. These are the people that have been forced to go to Belfast in particular for the cataract uh, operation. And it's the, under the treatment abroad scheme. And they go and they pay and then they get reimbursed by the HSC. There's problems, uh, Michael, with getting the money. They will get it eventually, but there's delays in the refunds. Do you know why? Well, I I can only surmise as to why. Uh, From a parliamentary question that my colleague uh, Michael McGrath put down recently, there's 30 to 70 days of a delay. Now, people that are travelling 
and I think that, that there's a, um, a, we are all facilitating people to travel to Belfast for cataracts and for um, hips and for other surgical and they have they're buying money or sourcing money from family members to pay up front and then they're waiting for them and the information was that they would be reimbursing it in an ordinary in a timely fashion and people are now waiting a number of uh, months I suppose 70 days is what we've seen in some instances and like whether it's bureaucracy within the HSE or whether my fear is that you know there seems to be a closed down in relation to services uh, particularly over the last couple of weeks uh, in that there'll be no new home helps until November is it there's a, a funding issue in it and as the new chief executive of the HSE said that we're going to bring a, a, everything in under budget when they know that the figure that was uh, appointed last year in the budget wasn't sufficient to run the HSE because of demographics and changes that are out there that there is there isn't as sufficient funding to uh, uh, you know, to to pay all that's needed within the HSE, and I think that there has been a dishonest uh, vote in relation to the amount of money that's been allocated for the HSE in the first instance, going back over many years, and there's been a supplementary budget brought in at the end of the year. I think that we need to make sure that our health service is adequately funded for the challenges that face it. And we have many challenges because the demographics, our ageing population right across the country, that's going to need more, uh, I suppose, more care and more money to make sure that we have a proper service as we go forward. Okay, we'll leave it there, Michael. Listen, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Cork Northwest uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan, 1850-333-103. Lines open. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Talking about the lack of respite services in the last hour, and in particular the issue for older parents looking after adult children with uh, disability and many of them um, loved ones with intellectual disabilities and they are just getting so close to burnout and you know I was making the point what happens if one of them burns out then suddenly the HSC has to pick up uh, step in and you know somebody has to go into full term residential care whereas if you gave these parents and sometimes they're parenting on their own you know they might be widowed later in life and you know they're trying to look after their adult child as best they can Kaletta sent in a text that's kind of heartbreaking really Kaletta Kilworth um, says that she worked in uh, I don't know if she still does but she was working in the area of uh, residential care for adults with uh, special needs in one particular case she remembers of a very elderly lady who never got any respite, never got any home help at all. She was at home looking after her son and she died suddenly. And Colette said, I can still remember the night he was dropped into us. He was in his 40s at the time. And she said, I'll never forget it. He sat there that evening with his overnight bag on his knees and he wouldn't move. And they did everything they could to try to uh, persuade him. But he sat at the main door and they had to leave the door open. He just would not 
come in. They couldn't coax him in no matter what they did. And she said herself and another lady took it in turns. They sat with him just watching him all night. And she said in the end, like they put a cup of tea on the floor with a sandwich. And eventually when they moved away, he ate it, but he wouldn't, you know, when they were around, they couldn't get him in to sit at the table uh, or whatever. And she's making the point that if he had been introduced slowly into care, if he'd gone to respite care, when his mum was alive because she had been widowed so she'd looked after him all of her life on her own and she said you know here was this man in his 40s really like a child and, and he'd spent all of his life you know in a room in a house with his widowed mother never you know never went anywhere else and then suddenly the mother dies and he's thrown into this world that he, that he doesn't know and you imagine the fear for that poor man you know as I say even though he was in his 40s he, he would be just like a child he would just have been like a child and she said his mother's worry always was who was going to look after her son when she passed away and uh, Colette said she'd have turned in, the woman would have turned in her grave to see how sad he was God that's just heartbreaking Ah oh. I need to I need to toughen up a bit. Thank you, Colette, for sharing that with us. Uh, and I think sums sums up how important it is that families in situations uh, like that are given the support that they need. And respite services is made available not just for the carer to offer support for the carer, but to offer support for that adult man with intellectual disabilities who you know who only has that one world and that one person looking after him, and that person isn't going to be around forever. Just heartbreaking. I'm sorry for getting so upset. I just, I, I just, I need to toughen up. I really do. Okay, and we also discussed the uh, cross border, the cross border initiative, and um, the payments that the delay in payments uh, for treatments abroad. Uh, it's just, it, and it, what we've heard, I certainly we've heard from one person who's having a delay waiting on getting their refund in. They've had a cataract operation done. They borrowed the money, so they're waiting to pay off that money when the refund comes in. But they need to apply for a loan to get the other ride on and there's a delay they can get an appointment no problem in Belfast but they can't get the money until they get the refund in and there's just the delays are just getting longer it, the cross-border initiative initially they were paying out within 30 days so within a month people had their money and that's now gone to 70 days and over and on the last check there are 4,000 claims waiting to be processed and that list just seems to be getting longer and longer as more and more people just can't wait any longer to have their cataract done on the waiting list here so they're going up the north in instead. JJ's making the point that the HSE spent thousands on advertising various items o- over the years things like reminding people about their new website or telling people you need to get your flu jab uh, but JJ says why do they never advertise the cross-border initiative? Only for politicians coming out and raising the issue and in let's be honest the West Cork politicians organising the buses um, they only for them a lot of people wouldn't even be aware that you can head up north to get these operations done. And of course, it isn't just up north. This is a, this cross-border is an EU initiative. You can go anywhere in the EU. But obviously for people in Ireland, the easiest way is uh, for people to go up north. Um, but why do they not advertise? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you go onto the HSE website and put in cross-border initiative, you'll, you'll find out all about the scheme. But do they, have I ever heard an ad encouraging people 
to go to Belfast? No, I have to say um, I haven't. Uh, and I did see on the front page of the Irish Times today that the campaign to attract hundreds of Irish nurses back home by the HSE from over overseas has been very quietly stepped down, even though they're not using the phrase uh, stepped down after lack of interest, the HSE has admitted. The, remember this, this was the Bring Them Home campaign. We did interviews about this Bring Them Home campaign and certainly around Christmas there were signs at the airport um, asking people and you know if you're home for Christmas encouraging people to come home and work we need we need more nurses we need our highly trained Irish nurses that are abroad we need them to come home so the HSC decided to do this bring them home campaign and in total it started in July of 2015 so July 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, four years ago. Okay, so it's four years ago. And in the four years, they managed to bring home 120 nurses. There was the promise at the time that 500 nurses well, they would bring back from Britain alone, but in total, 120 came back. Now, it was Brian Hutton writing in the Irish Times today, said that the HSC, he got the figures that got released under Freedom of Information Act Oh, this was on Freedom of Information Act last year. Three nurses had returned under the scheme between January and July of last year, just three in a six-month period. The figures also stated 15 nurses were recruited under the relocation programme in 2017. They got in the... 2016-82 that was one of the highest numbers and the year it started which was only a half year they brought home 20 so it looked like the, the best year was the second year 82 but that then fell to uh, 15 the uh, following year all the nurses by the way who returned under the scheme did come from the United Kingdom they didn't manage to persuade any of the nurses to come from uh, anywhere else Minister for Health Simon Harris in 2017 said that the scheme was being extended beyond nurses working in the United Kingdom to anywhere in the world but anywhere in the world didn't seem to work during 2015 and 2016 the HSE's National Recruitment Service paid approximately a quarter of a million euro for the campaign now the, that money the quarter of the million obviously was ad, spent on advertising but it also included removal and relocation expenses as well as the cost of uh, flights from June of 2016 costs then were paid directly by the hospital but last week the HSE said that that scheme has now concluded and that the scheme has been stood down with hospital groups taking on the responsibility of directly recruiting nurses. However, the financial incentives, which are worth up to €3,000 to get a nurse to return, they remain for any nurse wishing to return home from Ireland. But it'll be up to the individual hospitals to do it now. The HSE Bring Bring Them Home campaign, sadly, wasn't as successful as they had hoped when they started it. 1850-333-103. Mary by WhatsApp says, Hi Patricia, I heard in the news this morning that electronic cars are so silent that visually impaired people are not aware that they're coming. There's now new legislation from today that all electronic cars on the roads must be fitted with a device that emits a noise when the car is travelling at low speed. That is a big, big safety issue, says Mary. Actually, I saw a piece on the television news about this yesterday as well and they were actually driving with... I've never actually been in an electric car, but just they filmed inside the electric car. They are incredibly silent. Almost, it must be very difficult when you first get and we did our feature last week on electric cars I didn't think to ask that question because I didn't realise how silent they were but I hadn't thought about that issue that somebody visually impaired 
who would be at a traffic lights trying to listen out or waiting for the beep of the car but trying to make sure that they, you know there are no cars uh, coming and if they're living in an area where they don't have maybe traffic lights with that beeps for them to cross the road they then are relying on their hearing to make sure no cars are com- coming so I do think this is a good initiative to have this making sure that all electronic cars will beep because obviously when they're going slower is when they're slowing down through residential uh, areas how annoying that's going to be for the driver I don't know and it has been introduced today on all new cars and I think they're going to retrofit it uh, but I don't think that's coming in for a few years I'll I'll try and find out a little bit more uh, about it but how annoying it's going to be for the person driving the car I don't know but I suppose whether it becomes annoying or not it's a safety issue and certainly it's a safety issue for any visually impaired person but if you are driving an electric car I've been in an electric car they seem to be scarily quiet it must take a while to get used to 185333103 John Paul taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Greener Screener Community Playgroup they're looking to recruit early schools practitioner it's to cover a maternity leave and it will start in September of this year a person is wanted to do some lighthouse work and preparing dinner that's in the Butterfant area while pipe fitters are wanted to work with a mechanical contractor that's in uh, Cork and a part-time accounts person is wanted for the Canturk area. You need to have a knowledge of Sage Line 50. That would be an advantage. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, we've received a number of requests from listeners asking us to do an information feature on wills and the making of wills. So we're finally getting it to it today. And I'm joined this morning by Karen Walsh, a solicitor with Walsh and Partners. Good morning to you, Karen. Morning, Patricia. And you're you're welcome. And thank you for for facilitating us uh, with this interview today. Okay, I suppose outline first. Why is it so important that we all should make a will? Well, firstly, I think it, it's, it's, it's a document which outlines your wishes as to what you wish to happen to your assets and your estate. And secondly, it is, if you, for example, if you have children, it's very important um, to appoint guardians in the event that you pass away, in the event that maybe both parents would pass away together and it's very clear who you wish for your children um, to be guardians of the children and who would raise them in the manner that, in a similar manner to how you would raise them. And I suppose what, what, there is no good reason not to make a will. There's, a, there's, a, a, there's so many good reasons to make a will. Another reason would be that if you don't make a will, the law, the Succession Act, will decide for you. So you wouldn't leave someone decide what would happen in your assets while you're alive. So I suppose why would, you leave the st- why would you leave the law decide after you've passed away? So there's very specific, um, there's very, there's a very specific way um, the law just dictates what would happen in your assets in the event that you don't make a will. So providing a will is an opportunity for you to decide rather than legislation deciding for you. Another good reason would be, for example, if you have maybe a child with special needs um, or um, would require, for, or another child maybe have a gambling addiction or an alcohol addiction, it allows you to set up a trust to look after that particular child when you pass on. That child would be very vulnerable and would need um special arrangements put in place to protect and look, to, look after that particular child. So there are just some examples. Yeah, and there, is there any particular time in life that people should start thinking about that, making of the will? Is it like, for example, when you get married or say when you first buy a house? That would be the, 
that would be the most, I suppose, the, 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 the point where most people would start considering making a will. Um, very often, I suppose, young people don't think about, mm. nobody wants to contemplate debt and all of that. Um, and young people generally don't think about it too much. But, I mean, I, I would advise every client here in the office, if they buy their first home, they should put a will in place. Some people are buying a house with a partner and they're not married and, you know, it's important to make a will in that situation. And, for example, if, if they may have children together and it's important to put a will in place for that. Um, if, it's mar- if, if you're a couple that's married and you're buying a house, it automatically will revert to the spouse um, if there are no other children, regardless of a will. But it's, it's, it's important maybe to get into the habit because you'll change your will on a few occasions during your life. And, and once you've done the first one, maybe the next one becomes a little easier and it's a good habit yeah, to get Yeah, and I think that's the important thing is like, it doesn't have to be morbid. You don't have to be thinking about your deaths when, when, when you're doing it. But you can update it and can you do that as often as you like throughout your life? As often as you like and you, you should, like for example, marriage revokes a will unless it's made in contemplation of that particular marriage. So a lot of people don't know that so they may have made a will they may have subsequently got married and that, that will is revoked unless it was made in contemplation of that marriage. And a lot of people don't know as well as divorce doesn't revoke a will. So if you, if you are divorced, you need, to put, you need to put a new will in place and amend your existing will. And, and as children get older, it's, easy, it's easier to identify, for example, one particular child may have an attachment to the family home. Mm. Another child might just maybe want some money to put a deposit on a house and then it's, 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 it's their, their needs become different. When they're very young, you don't know. You're, you're just dividing things equally among them if, if both parents pass away. But as you get older, you know, children, there might be one particular child is not living in Ireland and they're living in Australia and they won't want, they probably won't want to the farm and you might have a child at home farming full time. And you just don't know as, uh, as things change as, as life con- continues on and then there's more assets that are accumulated and acquired that need to be dealt with as well. Okay, some of the questions are already coming in, seeing as you've mentioned cohabiting. Uh, Madge says, with regard to wills, is there inheritance tax when you are cohabiting with somebody and one person dies? Yes, because a, a co- so so it, inheritance tax depends on um, the person's circumstances and it depends on the relationship between the deceased and the person inheriting. So there's different rules apply. Um, for example, a parent can um, give a child a gift of up to 320,000 tax-free. So in relation to a cohabitant situation, they're not married. So they, they, that, that person will fall into what's known as the Group C tax threshold, where they can only get €16,250 tax-free, and the balance is taxed at the current tax rate of the inheritance tax, which is 33%. Wow. So that's, that, is, that is significant. And it, 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 there, there, are, there are reliefs available. For example, there's a dwelling house relief available um, that can be looked into and there's very specific requirements in that if you qualify for dwelling house relief, you can take your inheritance tax-free. But um, so, so, I mean, that would be just a general rule about mm. the, 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 the 16,250, um, which is very little. And, and then you're also in a situation maybe where you might have bought the house as tenants in common, which means the house doesn't automatically revert to the surviving cohabitant and there should have been a will put in place giving it to the cohabitant. Um, 
So that so, is important if you are living with somebody and you've bought a house together. And many people have done that. Or they just haven't got married, but they've lived together for many, many years and may have bought a house, may even have raised a family in that house. But it's very important for them to have a will. Absolutely. I mean, unless they bought the house as joint tenants, which means it automatically, automatically reverts to surviving cohabitant. Okay. But then there's still the tax issue to look at. Yeah, OK. Um, this is in from No Name on This. Hi, question about wills, please. I'm a long-term resident of Ireland, but I made a will in the United States of America. Should I have a will here as well? And also, is there a low-cost way to have a will done at here? Um, and there's a lot of people asking about the cost of will so we'll, we'll, deal, we'll deal with that with it in, in, in a moment but somebody has a will in a different country what do, mm. what, what do you do do you suggest making a will here well it, so you have may have you, if, if you've made a will in a different country you need to be um, you need to you need to furnish a copy of that will to your solicitor in Ireland and that, that solicitor in Ireland will need to check does that will let's say in America um, relate only to your American assets or is it in relation to your worldwide assets because you don't want to make a will in Ireland where you're revoking the will in America, but you can make a will in America to deal with all your assets, or you can make a will in America to deal with just your American assets, and then you can make a will in Ireland just to deal with your Irish assets. So it's very important that you don't revoke a previous will and that you furnish a copy of your American will to your Irish solicitor and get specific advice in relation to that. Well, isn't it also important, um, Karen, that you let family members know that you've made your will and where your will is. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like I'll always offer a copy. If, if someone comes in to make a will, they always get a copy um, to take away with them. Some people prefer not to take a copy home, but I always tell them you need to tell someone where, where you've made your will. Ideally, you're the executor or the executors you've appointed. Yeah. Um, just so they know that there's, you know, you know, people are very... People are private and they like to keep their business to themselves. Yeah. But if no one knows where a will is made, and often you might make a will away from the town you live in and, and it, no one will know what solicitor you've ever dealt with. So it is important to tell someone, ideally your executors, where you've made your will. Yeah, you don't have to tell them what's in it. No, you no, don't. You've no. got, you're under no obligation to do that. Okay, and Margaret was on to say, I made a will years ago. I had to do it when I was joining Arc Life, obviously the, the company that she was working in. At the time, I just put my sister down as they said, oh, this isn't the real thing. It's just to have a will in place. I now want to change that will, but I've been told it's going to cost me €100 Euro to do it and I simply can't afford it. Also, the deeds of my house were moved to Dungarvan when the solicitor's that I were with relocated there even though I'm living in uh, Cork I've been told it'll be another 100 euro to get the deeds moved back Okay Talk to me about the cost of making wills Does it vary from one solicitor to another Karen? It can vary from one solicitor to another I mean all I can speak of is for my own office to put a basic will in place um, you know this, my office charges a, a price of 200 euro plus VAT Okay And, and, and that's that's that, and I don't mean that's that's a basic one. Maybe giving everything to your spouse or looking after your children in a will, where it involves maybe two consultations. So one consultation to give instructions, and then we need to, I, I need to prepare it, and then they come into the office on another occasion then to sign their will, and then it, the, then it's done. Um, but but some some wills and some people's um, circumstances and properties are more complicated than others. There may be a special needs child. A trust may need to be put in place. It could be very specific tax advice given by a tax consultant that needs to be factored into it. Or there could be, um, 
parents might know what to do and, and they can be sometimes there can be four or five or six consultations because they're considering it and it involves various different consultations. But I don't charge clients if they want to make a simple change to their will. I they just need to let me know what they want to change and, and I'll make the change and then they need to come in to to sign it sign a fresh will. Okay. But, but it's I suppose what I would say is that making a Two hundred euro plus VAT. Making a will can represent excellent value for money because it can lead to an awful lot of hardship and difficulty down the line if there's not a will in place. Okay, there's lots of people asking about the inheritance uh, tax. Mary and Charleville. If a person leaves their house to someone that's not a blood relative, does that person have to pay a large inheritance tax? That's what well, you were talking it's, about. It's the sixteen thousand, isn't it? The cohabitant. Yeah. yeah. So if you're you're not what you're. That person would be known as a stranger in blood from a tax perspective. The tax threshold is sixteen thousand two hundred and fifty, and the balance would be taxed thirty three percent. Now that person may be entitled to various reliefs, agricultural relief, dwelling house relief, but it would be depend it would be dependent on the circumstances of the situation. Okay, and uh, Donald in McCroom, can Karen advise on inheritance tax for families? From a family point of view, I read articles that are confusing. Some are saying you don't pay any, others are saying you pay a percentage. So, a husband to a wife, is there inheritance tax? No, or there's a wife no tax to husband. between spouses. And then to a ch- to, to children? 320,000 they can get tax-free and the balance is taxed at 33%. But previous gifts or an inheritance from a parent will be taken into account in that 320,000. So then, if you've been given a site, for example, that would be a common, um, that would be a common um, thing that would arise. The child maybe got a site years ago, the parent will leave them something in the will and that the value of the site will be taken into account in relation to that 320,000. Okay, because somebody said, if I leave my house to my home, my house to my son, he will end up leave, using it as a holiday home. Um, will he be taxed massively? I'm worried that leaving my home to him would put severe financial pressure on him. Well, no. It, well, I suppose he can get 320000 from um, his parent. So if the house is on the value of the house. Yeah, so depends the, on the value of the house. Yeah, so if the house is worth, uh, is, is worth under 320000 he shouldn't have to pay. No, if the worth, house is worth half a million, he has to pay 33% between the balance of 320 and 500. Okay. Now here's one. Joan says, Hi, I am wondering if my estranged son, who has been included in my will to be a beneficiary of a smaller sum of money than another child, would be able to contest the will. I've also excluded one adult grandchild from my will. Can they contest? Okay. Can you talk about contesting wills? Yes, the grandchild, there's no obligation on you to provide for your grandchildren in your will. And Okay, so that's him out of us, that the grandchild's gone. The son getting a lesser amount. Yes, the, there, there is no obligation on you to provide for a child in your will, which, which surprises many. Um, but there, there, are, there are claims a child can make against, can bring against the estate. For example, there's what's known as a Section 117 application. And that child can... Um, make a claim on the basis that they're asserting that the parent failed in their moral duty to that particular child. They're difficult applications to get over the line. Um, so, for example, if you had maybe excluded a child in a will whereby you didn't educate them or you had a special needs child that needed extra care, that child could bring a Section 117 application um, against your estate. But generally, if you if you have educated your children and you've looked after them and and they're they're capable of living independent lives of you 
then then uh, Section 117 application would be difficult to get over the line. But that is available to children and they're proposing new legislation in relation to that which makes it even which will make it more difficult to bring those types of applications. Okay, um, I'm going to put one more in and then I'm going to take a quick break. Robbie in Bantry says, uh, my mum died in the early 1990s. My youngest sister was the executor of the will. I never got to see the will. Is there any way I can get to see it now? So when the executor, so the executor is the client um, when, when, when a will is being administered. So um, the executor isn't, isn't under an obligation to give you a copy of the will if you're not a beneficiary in the will. Ah. And they're, they're, they're only under an obligation to tell you what you've, if you've been mentioned in the will. Now, once a will is probated, anybody can make an application to the probate office to get a copy of a grant of probate. But, you, but if he wasn't mentioned in the will, his sister doesn't have to give him a copy of it, is no. what, you, is what no. you're saying. And someone else, and I'm assuming this is executor, it says, uh, how many people do you need to make a will? I'm assuming they, they mean executors. How many executors do you need? You need one at the very least. One at the very least. Okay. Can, can you stay on the line? I want to take a very good, a very quick break yes. out of the way and we'll pick this up after this. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed discussing wills on the programme today with solicitor Karen Walsh of Walsh and Partners in uh, Cork. Um, okay, Karen, here's an interesting uh, uh, email that's come in to say, hi, I have a query about a will. A relative has told and shown me their will and basically they're leaving me everything, property, land and everything else that they have. They have a clause in the will that the property cannot be sold on the open market. I can only sell it on to one person who's named in the will at a figure well below the market value. I'm also to cover the person's funeral expenses. The person has never married and never had a family and clearly hasn't made any provision in the event of his death. I don't want any aspect of this will and I've told the person I'll be declining the will. I can't afford the inheritance tax or indeed the funeral costs that would come with this will. Please advise on what I should do in this situation. I have been open, I have been upfront with the person who's made the will, but they don't seem to understand that I don't want the financial burden. I have a family of my own to take care of with limited income um, and I really don't want to get involved in this and I know the amount of money it's going to cost me. Could Karen advise? Now, that's a very unusual case. Can you decline a will, Karen? You can. Now, I suppose I'd have to see the exact wording of the will, but you can disclaim your inheritance in an estate, which means then that normally it would fall back in, it would fall into the residue of the will. Or um, uh, if that person was also getting the residue, then that person would effectively have have passed away in test state, as as in as if he didn't as make if a will, never made the will. Yeah. Um. So you you you're not under an obligation to accept what's in the will. If you if you don't wish to take it, you can disclaim on it. Now you'd need independent legal advice before doing that and I you know yeah. I suppose it wouldn't be I couldn't advise specifically without seeing the content of the will but you you are under no obligation um to take to, to take what is being given to you in the will okay. and I mean there there are you know it could be that person could look at maybe trying to um you, normally if you're getting an asset and you can't afford to pay the inheritance tax liability you know part of that asset would be sold to pay that or all of it um, but but in this situation, there's very specific, um, there's very specific instructions given as to how it's to be sold, and it has to be sold for a particular market value, which you know would would maybe could impact on on that person's ability to pay the inheritance tax as well. 
So yeah, and and you can do, you it, the person can do that. They can in the will state that this property can only be sold to X and must be sold for this amount. It's it it, it it's I, yeah I, I it's very unusual. Yeah, you can't yeah. really dictate once you've given someone something. You can't dictate that they can't sell it or but you can put in a proviso. But it, I suppose I suppose it's hard for me to to advise without seeing the wording. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so your but, advice would be is for, is for that person to go get legal advice. Them the the, the executor absolutely. before yeah. they, they do anything um, in relation to disclaiming in relation to that. Back to a cohabitee. If both names are on the title of a house, does the same tax apply when one passes away? When you're cohabiting it, and they bought the house together. It's, they're still falling into the same tax threshold unless they can qualify for dwelling house relief or unless they get married. Okay. Yeah, okay. subsequently. Um, Anne in East Cork, and, and somebody else raised this as well, should the deeds of a house be included in the will or does it make a difference? Do you hand in the deeds when you're, when you're making the will? Not, not necessarily. I mean, a lot of people will have a mortgage on their property so the bank will have the deeds. But I suppose a, a solicitor would ask where are your de- deeds located. If they're with a bank, what bank? Um, if they're with another solicitor, what other solicitor? And may if if they're not mortgaged, maybe you want to have your deeds and your will in the same office. Mm. Uh, um, but it, it, they don't have to be with a will. But um, they're either with the bank or they're usually with another solicitor or or your own solicitor. Or they some people un, sometimes on in an, unusually they might have them at home. But a lot of it doesn't have to be necessarily included in your will or with your will. Would you not advise keeping deeds at home, no? No, I wouldn't. No. No, not no. at all. Because no. it, Keep it, them away if safe. If they're destroyed, if they're lost, if they're burned, um, it's it's very difficult. It's a difficult task to reconstruct title, especially if deeds are a registry of deeds title. Okay, a husband who doesn't want to make a will, he's old fashioned in that way, says the caller. His dad died shortly after making his will, so he's superstitious about making a will himself. His wife wants to know what will happen, what will she be entitled to, because they also have two adult children. So if he dies intestate because he's refusing to make a will, what does the wife get? So you can't make him wake, you can't make him put, put a will in place. So if there is, if he doesn't leave a will and he passes away, then the legislation will decide who takes his estate. So if in the event he doesn't make a will, two thirds will go to his spouse and the remaining one third will go to his children in equal shares. So two thirds to the wife and... One third to the children in equal shares. So I suppose what I would say to that is it's quite messy in that if there's three children, they're each inheriting a one ninth share in the estate which it could, that could be a house, that could be a farm, that could be a business. Um, and then there's a lot of people owning property together, mm. which which can lead to difficulties. Um, so it, it would be best if he made a will, but you, you can't, we can't... You can't make can't him. Make no, him. no, you can't make no. him, unfortunately. Uh, somebody else wants to know, can a husband bypass his wife and leave everything to a favourite child? Can that be done? Oh. No, a spouse is pr- protected under the Succession Act. So a spouse... Can can has a legal right share to a legal right share if the if if the, if the other spouse makes a will they have a legal right share to take a certain percentage of the estate and they can elect to do that and they can elect to take the family home as part of that share also so a spouse is protected in the legislation. Okay, somebody else wants to know: Can you just go make a will yourself? I'm bypassing. I'm not. I'm not, doing, I'm not doing you out of business now. But can you just no, make I'm a not. will? Can you make a will at home yourself? 
You can, but it's very technical and um, it can lead to a lot of problems in that there's, if a will isn't dated, it leads to issues. If, if it, all of this date mightn't be, um, mightn't be included in the will and beneficiaries mightn't be described adequately, um, it mightn't be witnessed properly. Mm. Um, there's, there's a load. It's a very technical document, a will, very technical. I, okay. would, I would advise against it. Somebody else's mother passed away three years ago, went to the courthouse to see if there was a will. They came back saying there was no uh, will. person is convinced that the mother did make a will. How do you... see? This goes back to one of the earlier points I made about making sure people know where the will is. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't it? Is there any way of finding out where a will could be other than well, knocking on every when door? You make an applica- when, you, when you inquire of the probate office, all they'll be able to tell you is that a will was... A, a will for that particular person wasn't submitted for probate. It doesn't mean that there isn't a will out there. It okay. just means it hasn't been submitted to probate. So, I mean, if, if, you're, if you think a person has made a will and you think that you may be a beneficiary or you may be an executor, you can, you can call to a solicitor and they can write to maybe, let's say it was a town of maybe McCroom, you might write to all the solicitors in McCroom, that solicitor, and ask them, do they hold a will? Or you could put a circular out um, in relation to all of the solicitors, for example, in Cork, asking them, do they hold a will for such and such? And then, you, then you'll be able to find out. OK, all right, but just, yeah, it's just important to try and let uh, somebody know. Uh, Laura, in a situation where a son is working on a farm and believes he's going to get the farm when the parents pass away and then this does not happen, is there any way of changing this if the farm was left to another son? Yeah. Yes, these, this is, that's a very difficult situation and it's more common than one would think. Um, so, for ex- so, so if you have a child who's, who's who's maybe given up school early, maybe never did their leaving cert or finished school when they finished their leaving cert and worked at home for very little to no pay on the basis it was promised to them. Um, you ca- that particular child finds out then that the will has been left to maybe another sibling or to someone different entirely. And obviously it's, it's, it's a very, it leaves that child in a very difficult situation, They're in a very vulnerable situation. So what there is what's known as proprietary estoppel and that child could bring an application against the estate to say that they acted to their detriment on the basis that there was a promise made to them um, and, and, and that the looking, seeking for the farm to be transferred to them. Now, it, these are very complex and, and very, um, you know, it, it, litigation isn't for the faint-hearted and they're very difficult they're applications for everyone involved. So if there is a child who's farming and it's their full, it's their livelihood and they've worked there for years and years on the basis it was promised to them, then a will should be put in place to protect Absolutely. that child. Absolutely. And then you're, you're pitching siblings against siblings, aren't you? It's, it's a dreadful situation. Do you need somebody else with you when you're making a will, when you're going to the solicitor's office? Solicitor wants to know. No. And I generally prefer to see, a, I, I prefer to see a person on their own so that there's no one influencing them in relation to the content of their will. So, no, I mean, often married couples will come in together and there's no difficulty most of the time in that. But generally, um, you should come in on your own, maybe with your spouse, but you don't need to bring your children with you. You don't need to bring um, anyone else with you when you're coming in to make your will. Yeah, and I can see somebody else is asking that question. A family member is, is, is bullying somebody into t- saying what's in the will. I don't want to tell them. Uh, you don't have to. That's your... That's your, your You're be- under no obligation. Absolutely. And, and if someone's putting you under pressure, that's even more reason not to tell them what's in your will. 
Uh, and then a listener says, I don't really have anything to leave in a will, but I do want to write down what I want done for my funeral. Can I do that? <laughs> you can still do yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. And would that be included in a will? Um, sometimes it can be. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, there's other things in a will, you know, people would be, who gets their jewellery, who gets their wedding ring, um, who gets their car. Those those things, they, they, they're very specific people. They want them to have have them and they don't want any disputes later. That's a nice thing to do as well to actually name somebody and leave a particular piece of jewellery. Yes. Stops all stops value. And can I say it stops all the fighting as well if if the one piece is more valuable than another piece. Um, We have a uh, sorry where's this one Um, Hi Patricia if I get a house from a long distant cousin it's a blood relation but it's a long distant cousin will I pay inheritance? You will more than likely, if it's a long distance cousin, you'll more than likely fall into the 16,250 tax bracket in that it could be, if, if, if it's a second or third cousin, they'll fall into the group C, 16,250 tax bracket and they will have tax to pay on that. On, on the balance. On, yeah. the, on the balance. Uh, Michelle says, hi, our house is only in my name. My husband's name is not on the title deeds, even though we both pay the mortgage. Will that matter? Well, in that case, you should make a will giving the house to him or alternatively, you could put, you could put the house into joint names now. And th- would, would you advise that? Is that the best way to go when both um, are paying the mortgage? A lot mortgage? of the time, yeah, well, the bank would need to, you'd, ha- you'd have to seek the bank's consent, but you, you, can, you could just make a will giving the house to your, to your spouse. Okay. Uh, hi, query, please. Uh, I built a house on a site that I got from my parents. I have folio, folio, folio numbers, but I don't yes. have a deed per se. Do I need to get well, your a deed? Folio, your folio is your deed. Is it? Okay, yes. so you don't... Yeah, your folio is your deed. So often, most of the time, there'll be a mortgage and the bank will hold, will hold all your deeds in that case. Okay, here's a really interesting one from Ken. Can you leave animals to somebody in a will? rather than somebody yeah. claiming a, bl- a love a dog if it's not in the I've never will. dealt with it before <sighs> but it's an I suppose it's something you own um, and you can you, you can leave your you can nominate someone who's going to take your animals in your will I probably would ask them for to see if they want to take on that job I would, <laughs> absol- I would absolutely check that out well, well in advance but it's a nice thing and if it's somebody that loves the animal uh, why yes. not and then Joan wants to raise an issue of mistakes that were made in a will it was the it's kind of a complicated one in that a son will for, for to explain it probably will put names on it the, the eldest son who the farm was to go to was called John Joseph but when the will was read when the will was written the name Joseph was put down instead of John Joseph the younger son is called Joseph everybody in the family knew that the land was meant to be left to John Joseph the eldest and it caused problems do people need to really really be careful when they're writing wills I suppose that they get the names right so the way people are known as something different to what their actual name is there are, and you can have people in a family who have the exact same name, for example, a son and a nephew. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it is prudent to identify the relationship when you're also referring to their name and obviously get the, the name of the beneficiary correct. But look, mistakes happen. Um, but if there's an agreement between the family and the person who's been wrongly named for that particular bequest is, is agreeable and, 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 and is is saying is happy that it actually was the deceased's intention to give it to another person, then that's fine. But often, often this is where disputes arise, and it ultimately will end up 
in, in a potential court case. Um, yeah, and we've seen that on the papers where there's, where there's a will, there's a family and, it's, and it, it divides and splits families. People walk away and never speak to each other again. Nobody yeah, wants that. Yeah, there's beauty. It, 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 you know, mediation should always be the first port of call if there isn't an a, a initial agreement between family members. But um, it is important to have beneficiaries and that's the danger of making wills at home that, you know, make, make, making sure the beneficiaries are correctly identified and that there's, and, and properties are so there's no ambiguity or... Um, there's no ambiguity at a later stage. Yeah, because somebody says, how long can you contest a will after the death? Is there a maximum length of time? It's two years from the date of, um, it's two years from the date of um, death. So, um, so, so there's very specific time limits depending on the, there's very specific time limits depending on um, each circumstance or the particular claim that's being made. So time is of the essence in that you shouldn't leave it go for too long before seeking independent legal advice. Okay, and then a final one. Should all the family be present in the reading of the will? Do you need to invite everyone? No, the first person who's going to get a copy of the will from the solicitor is the executor and then the executor will direct the solicitor as to who's given copies and ultimately all the beneficiaries will have to be written to. But if you're not named as a beneficiary in the will, you're you're under no obligation to, to be um, present. have information given to you by the solicitor or get exactly. a copy of the will. All right, listen, you've been a mine of information. I have a funny feeling it's an issue we're going to return to uh, again, Karen. But thank you for that and thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thank Good you. morning to you. Bye-bye. Okay. And the main message is make your will, folks. That is Karen Walsh, a solicitor with Walsh and Partners. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed that anyone who missed anything that Karen said or if you want to listen to it again because she gave quite some detail to some of the answers and if you want to hear it again or you want another family member to hear what the solicitor said on the radio today you can hear the repeat of the show after 11 uh, tonight and Karen's section will also be up on a podcast on c103.ie on the C103 app or wherever you get your podcasts from so if you want to hear it Karen's piece as as a, a little podcast itself will also be available but that won't be until this afternoon but the repeat is on tonight at 11 as well. Now we didn't obviously get to all of the questions that came in and continued uh, to come in even after Karen was finished. Some of them I can address. Somebody wants to know about nieces and nephews. Is there an obligation to provide for them in your will? No, Karen said because it was the same with grandchildren. No obligation to provide for grandchildren uh, either and that came in from somebody who doesn't have any children and obviously is deciding to leave two favourite nieces and nephews but you don't have to leave to uh, or provide for all of them. Fran says for the person who contacted you saying they made a will in another country you can go into any solicitor's office in this country and make a new will and it will revoke any other will made and that actually was the uh, very same advice that was given by uh, Karen. And then Gerard says, Patricia, would you ask your guest who's now gone off the line, can I make a will at home or is it advisable to use the solicitor and what's the cost? We did actually deal with that and there are other people suggesting that as well about making a will um, at home. You can. I mean, you of course you can make your will and once you make sure you get somebody to sign that it's your signature and it is your last uh, will and testament. But Karen was making the point just to make sure that everything is done right because when you make a will, you're doing it because you want to make sure that there won't be any arguments. I mean, the last thing I think any of us want after we've passed away 
is that whatever we've done in our will, we got it wrong and we have left a family all feuding and rowing with each other. I don't think anybody ever sets out to make a will with that being their intention. And I suppose the worry and the concern is that if you don't make your will, if you do it yourself, and listen, there's loads of people very capable of making their own will, but just make sure that everything is absolutely perfect in that will. For that reason, Karen's advice was it is better to go to a solicitor because some wills can be more complicated than others. Some can be very straightforward and I imagine if you have a very straightforward will it should be very easy to do yourself. But the best advice is always to get legal advice on it. As to the cost, and lots of people still talking about the cost, You need to ring individual solicitor's practices. Karen was saying a typical straightforward will in her practice is around €250 plus VAT. That seems to be the going weight because when we put that out there, a number of people said, yeah, that's roughly what they paid at their local solicitor's office. So it really is, is check with your solicitor. But that seems to be about the ballpark figure around the 250 uh, mark, but it'll be 250 plus a VAT. And once again, thanks to Karen Walsh of uh, Walsh and Partners for our piece. As I say, I have a funny feeling it is something we may be returning to again. And other questions that came in that were a little bit more complicated, I would just say to people, check in with your own solicitor. I can answer this one though, because this got dealt with with Karen. And obviously somebody late came to it late or maybe was in West Cork and we were off air when it was being answered says hi Patricia my partner and I bought a cottage together we were both married previously but neither of us are legally separated should we have a will done could either of our ex-partners claim this house if if my partner or I passed away Absolutely yes, was what Karen said. Karen said it is most important when you get separated and are divorced or if you still remain legally married and then you get into another relationship, it is very important that you make a will leaving you know, and I know both names are obviously on the title deed and, and all of that. But yes, absolutely important for you to go and to get that will done. I would imagine ASAP. OK, some also in is, this is on a completely different subject. Where's that lovely text that I got? Oh, here it is from John in Bandit. Thank you, John, for this. Hi, Patricia. What a special night in Ballinine was had last night. A beautiful play called The White Headed boy. It was done by a local local amateur actors and actresses. It was absolutely fantastic. They were all local people who came together about three months ago and put together this three act play, White Headed Boy, by Lennox Robinson. The actors were amazing. The man from the fish shop in Bandon was on fire. If anybody can tell me that man's name. And they should all take a bow for doing something so amazing. Lennox Robinson lived in Bally Money House in Ballinine and he wrote the play in Bally Money House in Ballinine and they performed the play for two nights in the actual house that he wrote it in. Isn't there something really special about that? Nora Scannell directed it and fair play to her too. And that's from John and Bandon who absolutely loved his night out. So take about everyone that was involved in the Lennox, the Lennox Robinson's play White Headed Boy and in particular the man from the fish shop in Bandon who was on fire. Well done. A good amateur dramatics. There is nothing like it. And I absolutely love to see it being supported because these people give up of their time like that man is working in the fish shop doing his normal 
daytime routine and then at night they have to go off into rehearsals and when you get close to the actual play or musical or whatever it is going live the amount of time that it takes up and they do it because they have a love and a passion for amateur dramatics there they're incredible people and they do have to be supported so well done to anyone who went along to see that and it does sound like it was a stunning performance and by the way we were talking earlier about older parents in particular looking after adult children and adult children with intellectual disabilities or with uh, special needs and how they need respite services how they need home care packages just to help them give them that little bit of additional support particularly when it comes to respite services and we just were lacking on respite services but we're equally lacking when it comes to home care support and I saw a piece in the paper from it's from another um, it was the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on older people Mary Burke and she was saying that the HSE is now providing home care support to 618 fewer people than they promised they would do this year and the waiting list is growing the waiting list now for home care support is stands at 6,300 people. They, it is also, according to Mary, Mary Butler, not delivering the number of home support hours set out in their 2019 plan. There are 160,000 hours below target. Uh, Mary Butler said, got the information from the HSE and it comes amid reports that the HSE is slowing down the delivery of home care to new applicants as the budget comes under pressure. She says if the trend continues for the rest of the year, fewer than half of the 80, of the 800,000 extra home hours that were promised will be. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Delivered, she said, it now appears that the number of people receiving home care is less than what was um, promised. Uh, And uh, 2019, almost 30 million euro has been added to the home support uh, budget. And the budget for 2019 has been increased by 40 5% 5% that has come from our own uh, Minister for Older People, Jim Daly. For whatever reason, they're pouring money into it. But whether it's just the ageing population, more people are looking for it and they're just not getting the hours that they required. And because that, we know we have people, as we speak, 
languishing in a hospital bed, in an acute hospital bed, desperately wants to go home, desperately wants to move on and can't because the home care package is not available to them. 1850 333 103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Doris Craft Market that's held every Monday in July and August. So it kicks off today at Phillips Philip Greens in Doris and it's on from 11am to 3pm. CIT's Free Enterprise Camp. Now that runs from August 12th to 16th and is open to students aged 14 to 16 who are enthusiastic, motivated and want to learn more about entrepreneurship. Application forms and further details are available from cit.ie and you need to have your applications. Today is the closing day to get working on that. Donations of used adult-sized football boots wanted by a group undertaking volunteer work in Sri Lanka. The boots can be dropped into Seamus at Taurus Jock uh, charity shop in Dunmanway. So I'm going to do a bit of a clear out. Have you got any football boots no longer in use in your house? Adult sizes please drop them in there. And there will be a 30th anniversary celebration and community garden launch at Formoy Community Resource Centre tomorrow between 11am and 3pm. It starts with a coffee morning tomorrow at 11 and then a gardening demo at 12 noon and community garden launch in Formoy which will be at 12.30 plus there'll be some musical entertainment. Now the town of Bandon has expressed its shock after a little two-year-old boy was injured in a hit and run accident in the town at the weekend. Local Fianna Fáil councillor Gillian Coughlin uh, joins me with more on this story. Good morning to you Gillian or good afternoon as it is this stage. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, firstly, the little boy, what do we know about his condition? As far as we understand, the little boy is well and recovering well from his ordeal and has certainly non-life-threatening injuries. Thank God. Thank God. Okay, what is believed to have happened? This was Saturday evening, about six o'clock. Indeed. The reports, as I understand it, are that the little boy um, somehow became disengaged from his buggy and was, um, after I heard of falling out of the buggy and was on the road, and a car came along and did actually um, impact with the little boy and continued to drive. And that's as I understand it. There was, there was some impact between the child and the car, and the car continued to proceed. Could it be possible that the car didn't realise that it had impacted, that it hit the child? Oh, I... I spoke with the detective on Sunday afternoon and the detective did not mention that. Now, there were subsequent reports that that could have been the case. Um, I did, the detective did not mention that on, on that uh, during that conversation because I was concerned, obviously, to know to what extent were the injuries from a fall or from the impact. And the detective did not mention at that time that the driver may not have known. Now, it is no doubt possible, but from my reports, um, that was not what I heard. Mm. Um, you know, but I'm sure the guard. I know the guard. The guard investigation is continuing, and I certainly don't want to prejudice in any way. Absolutely. But when, when I made inquiries, and um, the guard were keen to speak with the driver, um, and said that there had been some some form of impact. But indeed, it may have been slight. And of course, they are appealing for witnesses or dash cam holders to um, come forward with any evidence as, as to that regard. But I, I suppose it is not beyond the possibility that you would you know, have maybe driven, you might thought you might have driven close by or whatever and not have realised it. But that was not the information that I received on Sunday afternoon. Have, have we any details on the car? Colour, make, size? 
I do not. I do, no. I do not have any details as regards to that. No, I think that the guys are just continuing to appeal to whomever it, is, whoever it was to come forward themselves. Uh, but the investigation is continuing. But I suppose from a political perspective, Patricia, what is um, really highlighted here is the lack of a CCTV system in Bandon. That was going and to be I my next question. Is there yes. no CCTV there? No. Well, no. if there is, it's, it's private. It, it would be private operators having their own private security okay. system. However, um, since I was on the town council, we have been calling for a CCTV system in Bandon. And indeed, funds had been ring fenced and it was coming very close to con- uh, completion and installation. And then with the new GDPR regulations, it was put on ice again. Um, there was a dispute about who should have access to the, the tapes and to the recordings. And I believe that is still tied up in legislation in the Iraq. So I am calling on Iraq's members to uh, expedite that legislation and to allow local authorities and community groups who have raised funds and who have been pushing for this, and particularly you know, for businesses in Bandon, we're talking, you know, we're looking at abandonment at the moment in particular as a town that certainly needs um, an injection of investment as regards business and enterprise and anything and everything that we can do to do to enhance that and encourage that, I think, has to be done. And CCTV, um, in this day and age, most towns do have it. And I think that it certainly would be welcome uh, in this instance and in many other instances as well. I mean, it acts, I mean, obviously for something like like, like this, it could it could actually point out exactly who was involved in the accident. But it's a great deterrent for antisocial behaviour if there's CCTV around. Absolutely. And we know that um, certainly antisocial behaviour also banned as a as a town in which a lot of, there's a lot of through traffic, you know. And um, I know that the Guardian Bandon are keen that because Bandon is often a town where maybe crimes that are committed in West Cork, it, it, they may be coming from the east through Bandon. Um, it, it can often pick up um, detections of other crimes in, the, in, in West Cork and around the county. So yes, antisocial behaviour, crimes of, of all sorts. You know, Because people are so mobile and criminals are so mobile now, um, to be able to track their movements is very, very important. And of course there is the, the important question as well that we don't want to be monitored 24-7 and, and that's a very important thing. But most other towns, large towns, have CCTV, and I think that in the round, it is important um, for security, for businesses, um, and to know that you know if, if something is amiss, that it can be picked up. Okay, and in the meantime, back to the story that we started about this uh, little boy. Uh, somebody needs to face up to the responsibility if somebody's aware of, of what happened. Well. Patricia, we all live in a community and accidents happen. You know, we, we all recognise that accidents happen. Um, if it were if it were my child or, or your child, God forbid, you know, you would I think you would feel very let down that somebody had continued to drive. Um, and as you say, perhaps they did not know and give perhaps benefit out in that respect. But um, I would appeal to their, to their better nature to come forward um, to the guardie. And um, I think that's that's an important lesson in our lives that we face up to our responsibilities and um, you know thankfully thankfully there is no you know there is it is not a dire consequence uh, the child is okay and I send my best wishes to him and to his family dreadful dreadful fright for the family party, yeah just just awful uh, uh, but to have it compounded by the driver continuing I think must have been must have been dreadful for them yeah so yes I think you know in order to just box this off um, I would I would appeal to the driver to to, um, to come forward 
to the Gardaí. Okay, uh, and anyone with information, Banda, Banda and Gardaí, 023-885-2200 or the Gardaí Confidential Line, 1-800-666-111. Okay, we leave it there, Julian. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. So that is local Bandon Fianna Fáil councillor Gillian Coughlin on that little lad. But good to know the little boy is okay and uh, hopefully we'll make a speedy recovery and we'll be home uh, before we know it. Okay, some of your calls coming in. Margaret said, anybody else having problems with their air landline voicemail? They changed it recently, says Margaret. Uh, Margaret says, I followed all the procedures to change the greetings, etc. But when I listen to the messages, it just goes on with the options. I can't stop it unless I hang up. Anybody else having similar problems? Yeah, I actually got him. I'm an air customer as well. I got a message to to change the, that the landline voicemail was changing, but I haven't done mine yet. I'll try if I get a chance this afternoon uh, to see what the, if I can do it and how I get on, uh, Margaret. But we'll put it out there for you. Anybody else recently changed their air landline voicemail? You were instructed to buy air because they were making changes to it. Is anybody else having problems or is it just our Margaret? Uh, if you can let us know, 1850 And in Mallow says, my husband was walking on Saturday evening and lost a pair of glasses. If anybody found them, he was walking in the Nakavadra mountain in Wing, Nakavadra. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. In Bwing, if you found a pair of glasses, please, Anne's husband would like to get them back. Some of your texts coming in. There was a text that made me smile when we were talking about Wills uh, earlier and a text came in. Where is it? Because there were so many texts came in. Um, morning, Patricia. Here's an amusing story I heard recently. An elderly man had a successful operation for severe deafness. A friend said to him, it must be great for you and your family. You're all able to hear each other. I don't know, says the man. I haven't told him yet, but I've changed my will three times since. Kind regards. (laughs) Thank you for that. Okay, and then, now this is, Susan has contacted us about this. This actually, this came up on the programme from West Cork Mm, last month, maybe the month before. Susan says, Patricia, just a question. I went to get some foreign exchange from the Bureau de Change in Bank of Ireland in Mallow. Gentleman serving me said, "Do you, madam, do you have an account with us? I said, I do, but I don't want to take any money out of my account. I just want to get some foreign currency. What's that got to do with me having an account here? He says, I have to pay the euros into your bank account before I can give you the currency you're looking for. My question is, says Susan, what if I was a tourist coming into the bank in the Bureau de Change in Mallow? Obviously, I don't have an account. Um... Will they not give me my currency? This is so weird as in any other country you can change money no problem at all. This is informal. Yeah, it came up when one of the lovely staff members at Bantry Tourist Office alerted us to us as I say whether it was last month or the month before or was it back in May it was kind of the start of the tourist season I think it might have been back in May um, they realised they had a, a member a they had some tourists come in. They were after coming off a cruise ship, I'm sure. And they had uh, American dollars and they wanted to change them into euro. And they came into the tourist office and said, we've just been into the bank to be told we can't change our dollars 
because we don't have a bank account. And they didn't have any credit cards with them or anything and they wanted to buy some bits and pieces. So the very kind woman inside in the tourist office says, give, give me the money, I have an account. So she ran across the road and had to do the, put the dollars into her account and got the euros out and everything was, was okay. But she was just making the point, she said, they can't do that for every single tourist that comes into town and could we look into it? And we did look into it and we got on, we actually got onto the Central Bank. I remember we got an official reply back from the Central Bank Bank. I know I read it out. I don't know whether we still have that on file or not, whether John Paul has, has it kept on file. But they basically said that it was up, up to each individual bank to set their rules around foreign exchange. And I think it was when we got onto the banks themselves, we were told it was all to do with money laundering and all of that. But yes, it was going to affect people. Now, I remember when we raised it at the time, people were saying that we, we were even over the top to be raising it. Surely everybody, when they travel, travels with credit cards. But I made the point that they don't always. You, know, you will have some people who, do, who, who like to deal with cash, like to come with a set amount of cash with them, because when they have that set amount of cash, they know when that's gone it's gone I won't overspend so I think it's wrong to assume I know the powers that be are trying to push us towards a cashless society and one day I think we will get to a cashless society where we will never deal with money again it will all be done on cards but in the meantime there are still people who like to deal with cash or you might have people with them that just have extra money that they're keeping for just just, you know maybe for buying presents or buying souvenirs and we'll just deal with cash on that and for that reason it's local communities I would be fearful that will mo- that will lose out if they can't go into a local bank to change money I know we were directed towards Bure de Changes where you can go outside of banks there was one we were told of in the city centre but that wasn't going to be of any use to people in West Cork or in North Cork if a tourist comes in and wants to change some money so yes Susan we were aware of it it uh, unfortunately it seems to be a new procedure that has certainly come in this year here thank you John Paul John Paul has, has dug out on file what we had from the Central Bank and their response when we got on to them it is a commercial decision on the part of financial service provider as to what services and products it offers its customers and the terms and conditions they attach to it so basically saying individual banks the Central Bank is responsible for the supervision of firms to ensure they comply with the statutory obligations blah 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 however the Central Bank does not not prescribe how firms actually carry out their customer due diligence obligation nor does it set out any criteria that must be adhered to. They then say I would suggest that a local bureau de change might be your best option for tourists if they're experiencing difficulty with the banks. Also it can, prov- it can prove useful to shop around different banks as they may not all have the same criteria for foreign exchange. Well we did shop around different banks and can I say to the central bank if you are lucky enough to have a bank branch in a small town in rural Ireland then you're only going to have the one you're not going to have the luxury of popping out onto the high street and going from bank to bank to see if they've got a different foreign exchange criteria and also in a lot of rural towns and villages we don't have a local bureau de change outside of the bank so uh, while it's great to say that you see, it almost sounds like it's a response for a city or a bigger urban town. 1850 Going to take a break. Um, get your questions in for Annalise, please. If you have a nutritional question, if something is wrong with you or a member of your household that you think Annalise can be of help with, you can get your nutritional questions in now. This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
We go to the Health Hub in Times Square in Ballancolic where we're joined by Annalise Drussell. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Patricia. And you are very welcome. Okay, straight into questions. My adult daughter has just got hay fever for the first time. Says Esther, any advice, please, on what to take? Is that unusual that an adult daughter would... An adult well, would... it is actually unusual, but not unheard of. Last year, there was a lot of people um, got hay fever for the first time ever. And I think it was because it was just so dry last year that there was a lot of pollen and a lot of dust. So it sends some people over the edge. But um, the interesting thing, Patricia, about um, hay fever and allergies in general like that is that we have bacteria in our gut that actually produce histamine. And if you've had a lot of antibiotics and you've disrupted the flora, the, you know, the bacteria in your gut, it can be that the bacteria that produce histamine reach higher levels and therefore produce more histamine than normal. So your threshold basically is very low then because if you are slightly allergic to something, your tolerance is going to be much lower because of the amount of histamine already being produced in your body. So um, if you if that person has the adult daughter, if she's recently had um, a lot of antibiotics for something, that might be the cause of why all of a sudden she's developed it. Um, her threshold for histamine is now very low. And the best way to target that is to start with the probiotic for the gut. So a good probiotic, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the BioCult. OptiBac is another very good brand. And the Udo Super 8 is another excellent choice as well. So get a probiotic and get the gut right, and then you can take a natural antihistamine. So they're typically made up of things like nettle extract, quercetin, which is spelled Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, very powerful natural antihistamine. Bromelain is another one, B-R-O-M-E-L-A-I-N. And if you go into a health shop, actually, generally you'll find that they come in a kind of a combination. So there'll be ones with quercetin and nettle, ones with quercetin and bromelain and B5. They'll be in, you know, compounded um, antihistamines altogether. Exactly. Okay, someone else says, is it normal to get flu in the summertime? And if so, how long does it normally last? And advice on how to... Yeah, so see, Patricia, a flu, a re- like there actually has been quite a bad chest, um, sorry, a sinus and throat uh, virus going around recently. I've, I noticed a lot of customers in. The flu, if it is the real flu, it's unusual to get in the summertime. Um, the real flu now, you'd know it. You have to go to bed. You cannot get really up and about with the, you know, with the flu. People often will say, I've got a flu and it's just really nasty cold, but that's a totally different virus. So if you've got the flu... You might have a temperature, you'll be aching all over, you'll feel really, really weak. You probably won't be able to get out of the bed. For some people, it'll affect their stomach, so they might get vomiting and diarrhea with it. And they also probably will get um, a cough and a chest um, infection too. So there's nothing you can do for a virus, really, um, in terms of, you know, medicines, except, um, like, the, if you have an infection, you can take an antibiotic for the infection in the chest. But a virus, there's, there isn't really antivirals for these things. So... Natural antivirals would be things like elderberry uh, is very good natural antivirals. The beta-glucans that typically come from mushrooms, they're fantastic for supporting the immune system to fight viruses. Uh, Another lovely one I like as well is the olive leaf extract. It's a very powerful antibacterial and antiviral. So it'll hit the chest if you have an infection and it'll hit the flu or the cold virus. 
Um, vitamin C and zinc is always another wonderful one. And again, like things have gotten so sophisticated now, Patricia, if you go into the health shop, you'll probably get a product that has all of those things um, or a combination of those things in there. Um, and the other thing is just get into bed. And if you get into bed, you'll definitely shorten the duration. Yeah, and get over it. Seems to be all about allergies today. Hi, Annalise. My daughter in her 30s is allergic to cat hair, red wine and some other things. Is there a natural cure? No, unfortunately not. Now, there is a, there is something called, um, there is a type of desensitisation therapy, that's what it's called. And you can get your doctor to recommend you on for that if it's a very severe allergy. And what that involves is um, exposing you to very, very low concentrations of the, aller, um, of the allergen. So in this case, cat hair or red wine. And um, over time, you become less allergic. But... Um, I suppose natural antihistamines, Patricia, would be a way of managing your symptoms. It's not going to take care of the allergy bit, but it'll help manage the symptoms. So any of the ones that I mentioned earlier, quercetin, bromelain, vitamin C, nettle extract, vitamin B5, um, they're all very good natural antihistamines. And again, with the red wine, what's interesting there is that it may not be actually the red wine itself. It might be something that they put in the red wine to um, to kind of clean it and get the sediment out when they're making it called sulfites and you get those in red and white wines and some people are very allergic to those Patricia and it produces the runny nose runny eyes some people will feel flu-like they might get headachey so actually there's sulfites in lots of other foods so again to improve your threshold cutting those foods out will probably make it you less likely to react on the one time that you do have it so Google online Sulfite-rich foods are sulfite, foods high in sulfites, S-U-L-P-H-I-T-E-S. And try and minimise those in your diet and then you'll definitely have less symptoms. It'll certainly help. Hi, uh, could you ask Annalise, please, is too much calcium dangerous? I'm yes. 54 years, oh, straight off, 54 years of age. The doctor's going to check my bloods again in six months. Obviously, they've she's come out with high calcium. Um, I do drink plenty of milk and cheese, but I was told not to give them up. But to come back in six months and have the blood test done again. Yeah, so I suppose... In this case, I'm not sure why the calcium is high. It could be a kidney issue because your kidney calcium, calcium is used um, for a lot of different things in your system, Patricia. I mean, we know it's for bones and teeth and nails, but it's also used as a buffer within the body. Um, It's also um, involved in nerve impulse transmission. So we have like the body has to keep levels of calcium at a kind of a, um, a, a standard level at all times. So if we need more, it'll absorb more from the diet. If we've got too much in our blood, our kidneys will get rid of it. And um, if we've got too little, our, bo- our bones will break down to provide calcium into our bloodstream. So um, there's a constant rebalancing going on in the body to keep calcium levels at the optimal uh, range. And if that's not happening, it could be something to do with the kidneys. Um, and the reason I said no so quickly, Patricia, is like the calcium, um, the calcium tablets for me are only second to the statins in terms of the damage that they could potentially do if you don't need to take them. So for years, the um, World Health Organization has been advising against high levels of calcium in supplementation because it increases women's risk of heart disease. If you've got any bit of cholesterol um, that isn't being recycled, um, calcium can harden it in your arteries going up to the brain and going to, to the heart. So it will increase your risk of stroke and will increase your risk of um, heart disease. And there's not really any need for it because, you know, it's not like we're calcium deficient in the mm. Western diet. I think the big issue is probably the lack of vitamin D. 
Um, so I think a vitamin D supplement is far more important. And don't be taking high doses of calcium unless you've got very severe osteoporosis. Okay, Patricia, I've got a problem with constipation. I take a probiotic and a digestive enzyme. I eat properly, drink lots of water, but I'm a very stressed person. Could Annalise please help? Is the answer in the I'm a very stressed person? Is that? It, it might be, Patricia. Mm. Now, stress can affect the bowel in different ways. For a lot of people, it could either make them too regu- like too, too loose or it can make people constipated. Um, I mean, if you think about stress, our bodies are thinking we're like the zebra on the edge of the pack being harassed by a lion. So you can imagine it's not important that your digestive system is working at all when you're stressed. So you wouldn't be breaking your food down properly. And even though she's taking a digestive enzyme, it's probably not really enough for her own processes. Also, I know, Patricia, when people are stressed, they tend not to chew their food. They tend to bolt their food and probably eat bad well, now she said this lady said her diet was healthy. Yeah, she said her diet is good. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to do really, I suppose, is to um, is to try to take something for stress. Uh, there are different things on the market. Like, for example, there's um, a probiotic, which would be good for the gut, and it's also good for stress on the brain, called Zenflora. It's actually made here in Cork. It's spelled Z-E-N-F-L-O-R-E. And a lot of people have been feeling a benefit from that. So she could switch her probiotic to that one. She might also want to try taking some acid to supplement the digestive enzyme. Now, that sounds dangerous, but actually we really need strong stomach acid to break our food down. And when you're stressed and your digestion's not working, you're just not releasing it properly into the stomach. So unless she suffers from severe heartburn, I would buy acid um, in the health shop. It comes under the name Betaine, B-E-T-A-I-N-E, H-C-L. H-C-L stands for hydrochloric acid. And it's the same as our stomach acid. And I take it all the time, Patricia. And when I forget it, I know about it. Um, it definitely helps with constipation um, and digesting and getting the good out of your food. And then the last thing I would say is that ev- everything else being right, um, you know, if her diet is right, water, she's exercising, um, plenty fiber, po- it's possible she's got a food intolerance. So a lot of people, again, if they're intolerant to a food, it will cause constipation. It's more common than the food actually causing diarrhea. So it might be worth getting a food intolerance test done. Okay, and a listener says, um, can I do anything to prevent getting shingles? I'm getting them about every six weeks. Oh, the crater. Oh. There's nothing worse. And you know, the other awful thing as well, Patricia, is people who have got recurrent nerve firing after shingles. It's very, very hard to uh, manage and to cope with. So shingles is a viral disease. So what's happening here really, I think, is that the body is so run down and that the immune system is not able to completely eradicate and fight the virus. So the virus is dying back, you're feeling slightly better, and then as soon as you have a stressful day or, you know, you're tired because you overdid it, it'll rear its ugly head again. So it's all about antiviral support. In this case, I would definitely recommend the mushrooms. Um, There's a very good brand called Hifas de Terra, which are an organic brand from Spain. It's spelled H-I-F-A-S-D-E, middle word, and then Terra for Earth, T-E-R-R-A. And the one that she needs to try is either the Mycomix, M-I-C-O, Mycomix, or the Mycoleo, which is very good for the immune system support. I'd also take something like olive leaf extract, and I'd also take um, an elderberry complex that has got some vitamin C and zinc in there. So I would literally blast the immune system with everything that can, can support it and just get rid of that virus once and for all. Yeah, it's just, and, and it's very painful. I've never had shingles, but it's, it's very painful. It's very, it's very painful, Patricia. And, um, 
you know, the, it's it's also just exa- like it's exhausting to have it too, I suppose. Um, and for some people, then they get recurrent cold sores with it oh, because nice. it activates the herpes simplex virus. So you really just feel absolutely wiped out. Okay, hi Annalise. I have a lot of fluid in my body. I go for acupuncture and it does help. I would like to know if you could recommend anything else. Thank you. Yeah, if I could invent two pills in the world, Patricia, one of them would be a water retention pill that worked, a natural one, and the other one would be one that would burn fat really effectively. (laughs) So there are things on the market that you can try. Um, With water retention, it could be maybe one of two things. It could be that the kidneys aren't able to get rid of the water from your system effectively. So kidney support is one thing that must be done. The second thing is that maybe the lymph you know, maybe the water is getting stuck in the tissues and the lymph is not able to move it around. Now, we, you know, people can envision the whole vein and artery system of blood in our body. Well, we have a system called the lymph system that's exactly like that. It channels all through our tissues and all through our body. And its responsibility is to move fluid that's leaked out of cells back into circulation and also for immune system function. But there's no pump like the heart for the lymph system. So it's very easy that your, um, you know, the water will, will start getting retained and unable to be pumped effectively around the lymph. So lymphatic drainage massage, we spoke about that for a lady before who had lymph nodes removed after uh, breast cancer and was getting a lot of fluid retention. And the lymph clinic in Cork um, seems to be excellent at and very professional at doing lymph drainage massage. That would be one option. And then in terms of taking supplements, you're looking at things to support the kidneys, so something like possibly um, um, celery seed extract is wonderful. Drinking plenty celery juice is another way to do it. Potassium is fantastic, so you'll get loads of potassium in celery, but bananas are great as well. All fruit and veg are good for that. And then possibly um, like a dandelion and burdock supplement. You can get it either in a tea or you can get it in um, a a tablet form that you can take. And they can all support the liver and the lymph in in removing um, um, pooled pooled fluid around the body. Okay, and the final one, are eating tomatoes eating too many? Are they good or bad for you? Well, if you like them and if you don't have a problem with them, they're good for you. They're they're wonderful for you actually because they've got so many um, health-giving compounds in there. Lycopene in particular is very good for the eye, so and lutein, um, which is one of the pigments that makes the ready orangey colour in our fruit and veg, is brilliant for preventing macular degeneration. And they're full of fiber and they're full of vitamin C if they're fresh. Um, so I think they're 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 a fantastic food um, for many many different reasons. And in actual fact, they've found that um, beta carotene, which is a vitamin A, is better absorbed from cooked tomatoes. So tin tomatoes are really. Um, effective to take as well if you don't eat them fresh. Now, a lot of people, it can cause acid reflux and some people might be a bit allergic to them. So if that's the case, don't take them. And if it isn't the case, eat as many as you like. Yeah, that's, it, that's the one thing with, with tomatoes. I'm fine with tomatoes as long as I don't eat too many. But if I went for too many, I'd get acid, acid reflux. So I seem to have a, like, a tolerance. A tolerance level, yeah. yeah. And that's very common, Patricia, with different foods. Like some people... It's apples and some people it's onions and garlic. They could maybe tolerate a bit of onion cooked into a soup, but they can't have it raw. And there's no tried and tested rule for anyone. It's about knowing your own tolerance and your own body. Are tomatoes part of your five a day? Absolutely. Definitely. Even though technically they're a fruit um, rather than a vegetable. And I kind of feel maximum two fruits a day. And at least, I mean, I'm more of a fan of eight plus a day, I think. 
but um, they, they're not they wouldn't be very sugary Patricia so I'd nearly consider them one of the veg would you okay alright listen we leave it there have a good week and you enjoyed did you get out into the sunshine at all well actually I was down in West Cork and sadly it wasn't as nice as it was up in Dublin and Cork but anyway it's always beautiful down there even if it's raining I yeah, think yeah absolutely great yeah. great neck of the woods just thanks for that Annalise we'll talk next Patricia. Monday God bless that is uh, Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic and she'll be back with us again next uh, week uh, okay before I go Bure de Change what is the point of having, having them they're completely useless says a texter with regard to the fact that they won't change your money unless you have a bank account open Podrick in Glamworth wants to point out that Patricia the post office does change money um, because I got sterling there for my son at the local post office and you don't need to have an account uh, so you can let tourists know if you're lucky enough again to be in a tourist area where there is a post office send them in there instead Okay, that's where we leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. And of course, reminding you, you can always contact us by email, patricia at c103.ie. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.